So first of all, our Old Testament reading uh, is from Isaiah, chapter 29, verses 13 to 16. And it goes like this. The Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down, as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, He didn't make me? Can the pot say to the potter, He knows nothing? And the Gospel reading... is a slightly expurgated version of Mark 7, uh, verses 1 to 21. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who'd come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So, the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the you have let go of the commands of God, and are holding on to human traditions. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, "Listen to me, everyone, and understand this: nothing outside a person can defile them." by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. As People living in a culture that knows about germs, <laughs> it's rather hard for us to empathise with the Pharisees' perspective on washing. For us, there is a natural connection between washing and physical health, and a natural contrast between washing and sickness. But first century people just didn't think like this. 
Of course, they washed to get clean. Think of Jesus taking on the servant's job of washing the disciples' dusty feet in John 13, 3-17. However, the first century knew nothing of germs and consequently no one washed for hygienic reasons. Beyond washing to be clean, the obvious connection in the mind of a first century Jew was between ritual washing, ablution, and spiritual health. The natural contrast they bore in mind was between washing and ritual defilement. Hygienic laws were to be arrayed for religious and disciplinary rather than medical reasons. These regulations reached into virtually every activity of life. Uh, Isolation of the sick, time and location of burial, washing before meals. Jewish tradition took certain scriptural rules about washing, such as those concerning priests serving before God from Exodus 30, as a basis for more general rules of conduct. Such customs were genuine historical traditions originally aimed at honouring God as being extensions of biblical principles that were already given by revelation. In the Babylonian Talmud, washing before a meal is described as first waters and washing after a meal is known as last waters. And first waters or raising the hands after ritually washing them was to be done with a blessing prior to eating any bread with a meal. This ritual is said to be so important that neglecting it is tantamount to unchastity and risks divine punishment in the form of sudden destruction or even worse perhaps poverty according to the Talmud. When the Pharisees complain that Jesus' disciples are eating with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, this is actually an attack upon Jesus, since the behavior of the disciples naturally reflects upon their teacher, their rabbi. And this was a very serious matter. Another oral tradition uh, recorded in the 3rd century Mishnah tells of one rabbi who was ostracized for questioning hand-washing. The Mishnah says this, But who did they put under the ban? Eliezer, son of Enoch, because he threw doubt on the cleansing of hands. And when he died, they sent and laid a stone on his coffin. Whence we learn that if a man is put under a ban and dies, his coffin must be stoned. How dare Jesus let his disciples ignore the ritual washing prescribed by the tradition of the elders, thus making themselves spiritually unchaste and putting themselves in danger of divine punishment? What sort of rabbi does he think he is? That is the Pharisees' pointed question. 
Well, Jesus responds by calling his accusers hypocrites. In classical Greek, a hypocrite could mean an orator, a reciter of poetry, or an actor. And from the theatrical practice of actors changing masks in order to play different characters, the term hypocrite gained a negative connotation of pretending to be something that you're not. A hypocrite looks righteous on the outside, but by definition, the appearance is a mere facade. And Jesus quotes Isaiah 29.13. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. This response is very much to the point. Romans 12.9 says, Love must be without hypocrisy. When a man-made ritual stops being animated by love, it becomes a vessel for hypocrisy. Jesus says people have elevated the tradition of the elders above paying honest attention to the state of their own hearts before the Lord. And they even use these traditions as an excuse for ignoring God's law. In Mark 7, 9-13, which was left out of the lectionary reading, Jesus gives the example of dedicating money to the temple rather than looking after one's parents. A modern equivalent might be making a charitable donation with the money set aside for your mother's nursing care costs. What was originally meant as an expression of love has become a vessel of hypocrisy. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Some Christians have a ritual of offering up a prayer before every meal. One can see why this would be a good practice. However, one can also see how such a tradition could become a matter of dead formalism. One can see how such a ritual might become a form of superstition. Dear Lord, bless this chicken to us in case we didn't cook it properly. One can see the potential for such a ritual to be misused for self-aggrandizement. Look at me, I'm praying. Or even to deliberately make other people feel unworthy. I'm praying and I'm so much more spiritual than you are. When a tradition, a ritual, stops being animated by love, it becomes a vessel for hypocrisy. So having understood the relationship between ritual and hypocrisy, we're now in a position to answer the question about what sort of rabbi Jesus thought he was. Jesus didn't come to teach refined social etiquette, but to reveal and to deal 
with the deepest problems of the human heart. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come and defile a person. Admitting that you are a sinner who needs help is the very opposite of the hypocrisy displayed by the carping Pharisees. As Jesus says in Mark 2.17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't want any barriers of man-made self-righteousness coming between the grace of God and people who knew that they were sinners. Since purity regulations, like hand-washing, are not simply ritual taboos, but a means of preserving religious and ethnic identity in a hostile world, this dispute deals with whether the community is to be exclusive or open to unclean elements, such as Gentiles like us. William Lane Craig reminds us that one of the most radical features of the historical Jesus was his practice of inviting prostitutes, tax collectors, and other outcasts into fellowship with him around the dinner table. This was a living illustration of God's forgiveness of them and his invitation to them to fellowship in the kingdom of God. In table fellowship with the immoral and unclean, Jesus is acting in the place of God to welcome them into God's kingdom. Jesus' table fellowship with people considered spiritually unclean was of a piece with his rejection of man-made ritual, including rituals of hand-washing that had become vessels of hypocrisy. Now, Jesus was heavily criticised for going against the flow of tradition, but he was willing to take the heat in order to reach out to sinners. It displays to us something of the heart of God in the whole incarnation. To follow Jesus, we must cast aside any pretense of self-righteousness. We must admit to ourselves and to God and to one another that we are all sinners with defiling hearts in need of divine renovation. Religious rituals from mealtime prayers to kneeling at the communion rail may aid the renovation process. But Far be it from us to criticise other people for failing to follow the traditions that we follow when those traditions are not a matter of God's law. Rather, let's live out Paul's advice in Philippians 2.3 that instead of being motivated by self-ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourselves. Amen.